Well, amen. Thank you so much for leading us in worship today. We are, again, grateful to be here in this place. You know, we, we no longer take it for granted that we can actually gather and worship and fellowship with one another, and so we're so glad we've been able to do that today. Well, if you have been with us at all this past year, you know that our theme for 2021 at First Baptist Arlington has been a journey of faith. And as I have shared with you numerous times along the way, it's not really just a theme. It actually is a testimony of these 150 years that we've experienced as a church. It really has been a journey of faith. And so each season of the year, we have been exploring different aspects of faith. And we have brought the year to a conclusion during the Advent season as we have been studying together, O come all ye faithful. And we have used that carol to guide us in the Advent season. Beginning tomorrow, we're gonna ask the church to come aside for a couple of weeks and uh, embrace what we're calling the winter break challenge. I hope you've gotten one of these already. If you didn't get one, you can get one on your way out today. And in this booklet, you'll find a guide, a devotional guide for us as a church. And every day for the next two weeks, starting tomorrow, we have a daily Bible reading for all of us. We also have a, a time set aside encouraging our entire church every day to pray the Lord's Prayer we also have pulled together some common prayers, prayers from the people of God through the centuries. And then there's uh, a meditation every day. Uh, Kurt Grice put this material together for us and uh, I'm, I'm so grateful to Kurt for it. But we wanna spend these next two weeks just um, trying to somehow slow down a little bit. We're curtailing some of our activities here at church to just encourage that, foster that. We want you to do that in your personal life. And we're praying for you, praying that, that you will have a, a season of renewal as we end 2021 and begin 2022. Now, you remember our theme for 2022 is re. That's right. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, even today. But the first Sunday of January, uh, which will be next Sunday. Isn't that right? Yeah, be next Sunday. I'm going to share with you a state of the church address. As I wanna just share with you where I feel like we are as a church, as we have made our way through the pretty challenging season of this pandemic, and where we believe God is leading us. And I wanna introduce 2022 to you. In, uh, in my article at the beginning of this um, uh, first focus, You'll notice we've set aside these eight seasons of the year. When you get a copy of this, you may already have one. You may have gotten one on Christmas Eve. But what I've done is I have shared with you each one of the re-words that we're going to use to guide us during the eight seasons of the year ahead of us. And so we're, we're going to begin the year in January and February um, underneath this word reflect. And we're gonna reflect upon what God has done for us, what he is currently doing for us. And we're going to spend two months in Psalm 23, just embracing what it means when the Bible says the Lord is our shepherd. 
and, and then we'll make our way through these various other seasons of the year as we want to get reconnected and renewed and revived and we want to remember what the Lord's done for us. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the year ahead of us. So thank you for your prayers as we get ready for it and I'm praying for you as, as you prepare for it as well. So I'm excited about 2022, but guess what? We need to finish 2021 first. So let's do that. Let's finish strong. So today we have one more message in this series, O Come All You Faithful, and it's entitled, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. Our text is found in Hebrews 12. So if you have your copy of the text, look at it with me. Hebrews 12, verse one, after the writer has shared this beautiful passage, this wonderful page in our Bibles, Hebrews page 11, where he chronicles the faith journey of so many people who've gone before us. And the refrain of Hebrews 11 is by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And the writer tells us that without faith, you just can't please God. God has designed us in such a way to live our lives by faith. It gives him glory. It, it honors him when we live by faith. I know we all want to live by sight. True? We want God to show us stuff. And then we'll negotiate the relationship. That's typically how it goes for us. That's just not how God's designed it. God's designed us to live by faith. And so the writer shares these beautiful stories. One theologian says that that Hebrews 11 is like the family photo album. You just look through, oh yeah, there's Moses. Well, let me tell you what Moses did. Well, there, there's Sarah. Let, let me tell you about Sarah. And you just chronicle through these great people. And then you come to page 12 and the writer says this, therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of examples of, of people who've gone before you, of witnesses, he says. Let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, God is in the race design business. We're in the running business. We, we don't design our own course. God designs the course. And what do we do? Let us run, he says, with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The very first one, the, the pioneer, the architect, the one who completes, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Wow, what a, what a great word for us as we bring this year to a conclusion. I wanna begin this morning by just saying a word of thanks. Christmas, Advent 2021 has been particularly meaningful to me. And as the pastor of our church, I wanna say a word of thanks to our staff members who have worked so hard to help us celebrate Advent. You know, we've had so much uncertainty as staff members. You, you, you plan something and then you cancel it and you replan, and you cancel that one, and then this one doesn't work, and you replan. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? We've done that in our lives, haven't we? Family events. Um, uh, I noticed 
yesterday there were 900 flights canceled in America. So think about how many families had plans, people getting back to work, people getting to be with their families, and instead they ended up spending an entire day miserably in an airport. Some of you have done that, but it's really hard to do it on Christmas Day, wouldn't you agree? Um, and so our plans get diverted. This, this pandemic has been really challenging, but in the midst of all of that, our spiritual formation team, our worship ministry, our media team, our operations staff, They've just done an amazing job to help us celebrate Christmas. So can I just say thank you to our staff for working so hard to help us. It's been great. We are grateful. And uh, we, we love them, and I'm so honored to serve alongside of them uh, day after day. So here's what we've been doing. You, you may not have been here at all this year during the Christmas season. Uh, some of you have been here every time. So here's what we've been doing. We have been singing and reading and reflecting on Oh Come All You Faithful. We, we've been exploring the, the theology that's woven into that great carol um, because that's what these hymns are in our hymnal. That's what these contemporary songs are that we sing. They're, they're expressions of, of theology. And this particular carol is just filled with theological meaning. So, one more time, let's get our hymnal, okay? And uh, it's hymn number 103, so I want you to look at it with me. Here's what we've been doing with this particular carol, okay? We have just been walking through it, choosing various phrases, and then looking underneath those phrases for the theology that is woven through it and taught through it. So we begin this uh, Advent season with, O come ye to Bethlehem. And you'll notice in the very first stanza, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Well, remember, we don't really know for sure who wrote O come all ye faithful. We know who gets credit for it. If you look at the bottom there, it says words, Latin hymn attributed, remember to John Francis Wade. But remember, we learned John Francis Wade, sometimes he just actually found hymns helped set them to some music with some assistance. And sometimes he was just translating them that he had discovered in various music libraries. And he, he said that about himself. This apparently is one of those. We think this is a Latin hymn that dates back to the Cistercian monks. So we have evidence, manuscript evidence of it, much older uh, than what was uh, translated by John Francis Wade. So somewhere in about the 12th century, we have evidently a group of monks who comprised and composed this, this hymn in Latin. And I want you to notice, they invite the people to Bethlehem. It's an invitation to lost people, people who don't know Jesus. You're invited to Bethlehem. But for Christians, it's a summons. You're summoned to Bethlehem every year. Because you see, what the writer is telling us is, or these writers, they're saying, you are a part of a big story. And you know, as we talked that first Sunday, some people in our world, they think all the answers are found in Washington, D.C. Or depending on where you live in the world. Maybe they're found in Moscow. Maybe they're found in Beijing. And what we discovered on that first Sunday is if you think all the answers are found in Washington, D.C. or in Beijing or in Moscow, your story's not big enough. We're inviting you into a much bigger story. If you're a Christian, we're summoning you to a much bigger story. You see, the big story 
The big story, we know we have to go to Bethlehem to find the real answer for what's happening in this world. It's an invitation, a summons, if you will. And then, then we actually learned how to sing stanza number two. Now, let's be honest, it was hard. We had to practice, we're still practicing. You know, but remember, this, this text in stanza two is directly from the Nicene Creed, the Creed of Nicaea, AD 325. And we focused on that last phrase, Son of the Father, begotten, not created. Powerful truth that we discovered as we explored that. That's where we really began our theological conversation as a church for the Advent season. The mystery of the Trinity. God the Son, co-eternal with God the Father. Homoousios, not homoousios. You remember? That was our Greek lesson of the same essence, not a different essence. Uh, someone sent me a meme of, of a little boy sitting in St. Nicholas. You know, St. Nicholas was at the Nicene Council. A little boy sitting in St. Nicholas's lap says, homoousios or homoousios? And St. Nicholas looks at him and says, what? And the little boy says, you're not the real St. Nicholas. Well, that's exactly the truth. <laughs> you need to know the difference between same essence and different essence. It's, it's profoundly true theologically. So begotten of the Father is the phrase that's used in the Greek text. The next Sunday, citizens of heaven above. Well, we sing that song as well. We're supposed to, to sing and join these angels in the third stanza. We're already citizens of heaven above. Another theological conversation that Sunday. We believe in augurated eschatology. In other words, the new era the age to come has already been launched. We're not waiting on it one day out in the future. It's gonna be consummated one day in the future, but it's already begun, it's already been launched. Jesus said the kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God is here now. He is initiating and inaugurating it. And then word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. You see that in that fourth stanza. That Sunday morning we discussed together another council of the church, the council of Chalcedon, where the challenge was, how can Jesus be son of God and son of man at the same time? Did he have just one nature? Did he have two natures? What was his relationship as a human being to his divinity? And what was his relationship as a son of God to his humanity? And, and we settled that with the Chalcedonian definition, AD 451. And that is that he has two natures, both divine and human. He is truly fully human or else he couldn't have redeemed mankind. He's also fully God or he couldn't have redeemed mankind but he's only one person. So the two natures coexisting in one person. And then finally, on Christmas Eve, to thee be all glory given. A word about Jesus. Jesus is worthy of glory. He truly is the son of God. Now with all that said, let's talk about today as we bring this conversation to a conclusion. Why so much fuss about Jesus? Why, why is it that we as Christians make such a big deal about Jesus? Well, here, here's maybe the easiest way for me to say it to you. The life and ministry of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of history. See, see, that's what Christians really believe. 
If you wanna know what Christians believe, that is it. We believe the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is the centerpiece of everything, of history. So consequently, these men were led to write the stories of Jesus. We now have them in what you and I call the New Testament. It's, it's the new covenant. It's the, it's the story of the redeemed people of God that begins with the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so the New Testament begins with these four accounts of the life and the ministry of Jesus. The reason is, is because that's the centerpiece of all of history. So Matthew starts by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gives us the lineage of Jesus. Mark's gospel begins this way. He says, the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the, the gospel about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. And then he quotes Isaiah and takes you back to the prophecy about Jesus. Luke, in his version of the life of Jesus, he says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Do you hear that language? Luke says the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many people have written about it. I've decided to write an orderly account. Fast forward years later, the last remaining apostle, about AD 90 or so, the Apostle John. Years to reflect theologically on what's happened. Years to just allow God to, his, allow his mind to be ordered theologically. Here's how he begins his account of the life of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory, the NIV says, the glory of the one and only Son. But the Greek text says, the glory of the only begotten Son. Eternally begotten, not created. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John just states it as plainly as anyone I know. You come to the 20th page after John has told you story after story after story after story. Some of them not found in the other Gospels. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, he feels led to tell some of these stories that, that the other Gospels didn't tell us. Aren't we glad we have John? I love Matthew, I love Mark, I love Luke. I'm grateful for them. And John, though, tells us the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Praise God for John. But you get to the next to the last page and listen to what John says in John 20. Jesus perform many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, here's why I've written this. I've written this so that you'll believe that Jesus really is the centerpiece of history. He is the Messiah, and when you believe in him, you will find life. He's written about that life already in his gospel. You know, many of you know this. I'm, I'm a historian. I'm an amateur historian. My PhD's in history, but I, I, don't, I don't do it for a living. 
But as you might imagine, I've studied a lot of history. Every year I set aside an academic title in the field of history, my academic discipline, church history. And I read a title every year just to stay current and up to date with what's happening in my academic field. There have been some incredible events that have taken place throughout all of history, true? If I were to ask you right now, just in your mind, think of some of the monumental events in the history of the world. There have been some world-changing events and developments, true? There have been that have just changed the course of time. For example, the invention of writing. Think about how the invention of writing and taking the sounds that come from our mouths and somehow translating them to something that we can look at with our eyes without actually hearing with our ears and we can decide how this sounds and then it can communicate a truth to our brain. If you think about that, that's almost miraculous, isn't it? You know, you don't think much about it when you're just reading and writing, but think about the invention of taking what comes out of our mouths, trying to reduce it to a character on a page, or on a scroll, or on a papyri, and me then looking at it and my eyes being able to understand the sound behind it and translate the meaning of it into my brain. It's, it's pretty miraculous, monumental event. All the inventions, all the, 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 the great men and women, Alexander the Great, Alexander the Great made the decision that the, the Hellenistic culture was superior to the rest of the world. And so he decided he would teach everybody. He'd teach everybody how to speak and write like they were from Alabama. What a huge decision. It changed the whole world. Okay, maybe not from Alabama. I mean, he was Hellenist. So he taught everybody to read Greek, to write Greek. He put Greek libraries in all the main cities around the world. And so think about it. There were people who grew up in the far reaches of the empire who never in their mind would ever visit Greece, who learned to read Greek and understood it as a language that was technical, a very robust vocabulary. Think about how that changed the world. The Roman Empire introducing legislation and taxes and just the authority of the seat of government in Rome. World changing. But y'all, as important as all those are, nothing in all of history compares to Jesus. You see, that's what Christians believe. Why do we make such a big deal of Christmas? Because we like to give presents, decorate our homes, eat Danish wedding cookies, praise God. Thank you, a couple of you ladies who knew what I needed. Um, no, why is it? Why, why is it that we make such a big deal out of it? You know why? Because here's the thing, y'all. We Christians believe that the life and the ministry of Jesus is the centerpiece of all of history. Changes everything. Nothing can ever be the same because Jesus has come. This very writer, we don't even know who he was, the writer of Hebrews. He's a preacher. I read this to you on Christmas Eve, but let me just remind you of what he says. Here's his summary. Hebrews 1, he says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, in the age to come, that's now been established, he says, he has spoken to us by his son, the word of God, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's who Jesus is. There literally has never been anyone like him. So, what are we supposed to do? Adore him. That's what we do. Adore him. Well, how do we adore Jesus? What does that mean? How do we adore Jesus? Here's what I would say. We follow him. You want to adore Jesus? Follow him. Follow the Jesus way. This writer in Hebrews 12, you know what he says? He says, let's run this race with perseverance. Verse two, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Verse three, consider Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Aferao is the Greek word. Aferao means to look away from everything else and focus on one thing. Look away from all distractions and gaze intently on one thing. That's the word that's used here. Look away from everything else and focus on Jesus. Then he says, consider Jesus. Analogizomai, another word in Greek. We get our word analog from it. What is that word? It's a compound word in Greek. It means to, it means to completely reason. It means to move through a process and make a decision based upon that process. So the writer of Hebrews says, here's what you're to do with Jesus. Reason through who he is, make up your mind, consider him, and then put your gaze and your attention and your full focus on him. Wow, that's the answer. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, he said, I came to you in Corinth. I didn't come with wise words. I didn't come with human wisdom. I just came with Jesus. So if you're wondering what it means to adore Jesus, when we sing, oh, come, let us adore him, what does it mean? For us as Christians, it means this. We are going to focus our gaze, fix our attention, and follow Jesus. That's what we're going to do. You know, I moved here from Huntsville, Alabama. Y'all know that some 20 years ago, Cindy and I and our family. And uh, Huntsville, of course, uh, is home to NASA. I realize that's news to some Texans, but trust me, there actually is a NASA base in Huntsville, Alabama. Houston's not the only one, y'all, but nevertheless. I was always fascinated with the space industry, interviewed lots of folks who helped put people on the moon, who helped oversee the space shuttle program. And uh, it's amazing. Well, here's what some of them told me. They said, here, I asked them, I said, what are the challenges? What are some of the things y'all struggle with in those days and these astronauts now? living in this space station, orbiting the world, the, the, you know, orbiting the earth. You know what they tell me? They said, well, one of the challenges the astronauts had is sleeping. Sleeping. So what they do is they put sermons on in the capsule. <laughs> That's not really true. That's not really true. What, what they do is they train these astronauts because you're in a weightless environment. So here's the problem. You don't feel tired physically, but you're tired and your body has to refuel. So here's what they teach them to do. They teach them to fix the, once they're, they're sedentary, fix their gaze on one immovable object and that allows them and their body to adjust and relax and get the rest it needs. It's a discipline. Let me encourage you as Christians, 
Here's our discipline, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Focusing on Jesus, considering Jesus. You know, I told y'all 20 years ago on this platform, I'm a Jesus man, that has not changed. It won't change. I believe it's all about Jesus. I believe Jesus is the answer. What does Jesus say? Follow me, follow me. That's Jesus' admonition, that's his invitation, that's his summons. We, however, in America, we have spiritual attention deficit disorder. We're afflicted. We, we, we just, we get so distracted as Christians in America. There's so many other things that captivate our attention that we, we just wanna look, we wanna focus on. You can't do that. You know, you think, think about everything in the world as, as, as just being peripheral, as important as they are. And you need to give them due attention. But your gaze as a Christian, your focus as a Christian, it's not on Christianity. It's not on all the do's and the don'ts. So many people misunderstand this. It's not on the list of things. It's not a way of, of life that we've somehow concocted. The focus of our attention as Christians, if you wanna know why we make such a big deal about Christmas is the focus of our attention is Jesus. And we are here to follow Jesus. And so we're to fix our gaze on Jesus. We're to follow the Jesus way in everything we do. It affects everything about me. Why am I the dad that I am? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do I handle my money the way I do? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Why do I engage in conversations in a certain way? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Why am I the husband that I am? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Why am I a neighbor? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. Are y'all still with me? Ask any question of me. And my answer when I'm most honest is, well, actually, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's really what's going on in my life. He has my full attention. One of my all-time favorite seminary professors, Dr. Jack McGorman from Nova Scotia. He died Christmas Eve, 100 years old. One of my all-time favorites. Godly Gracious, two PhDs in Greek. One from Southwestern, one from Duke Divinity School. Brilliant man, one of the most humble men of God I've ever known. You know what he told us when I had him in class? He would say, those of you that are going to be pastors, always, no matter what else you're doing, no matter what else you're reading, always be reading the Gospels. Always. He said, because what you need to do, stay close to Jesus. So here I am all these years later, and you know what I do all the time? No matter what else I'm doing, daily Bible readings, academic disciplines, whatever, guess what I'm always reading? The Gospels, you know why? Because I wanna know what Jesus did. I wanna hear what Jesus said. I wanna try to figure out what Jesus was thinking. I wanna see how Jesus treated people. I wanna see how Jesus handled a situation. You know why? Because I am a follower of Jesus. So, can I just say this to y'all? Jesus isn't asking you to admire him. I admire a lot of people. He's not looking for admirers. What does this great Christmas carol say? Oh, come, let us adore him. That's right. Adore him. That means follow him. So, as we end this year together and as we launch a new one, Let's commit ourselves to adoring Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. After all he's done for us, he's worthy 
of our attention. May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, today we, once again, we bow before you, grateful, humbly, thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. And so today, Lord, we we do ask that you would help us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to more fully understand and embrace what it really means to follow and adore Jesus. And may the rest of the world be encouraged and inspired by our example. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.